You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled How the Spiritual World Projects into Physical Existence, The Influence of the Dead. This is Lecture 8, given in Bochum on the 21st of December 1913, the inauguration of the Vidar branch. A number of friends have come from outside to join our friends under the Christmas tree here in Bochum and visit the branch of our spiritual searching that has been inaugurated here. I'm sure that everyone who has come from elsewhere for the solemn inauguration of this branch appreciates the beauty and spiritual significance of the decision made by our Bochum friends to establish this center for spiritual endeavor and spiritual feeling here in the city, in the midst of a center of material activity, in a place which belongs mainly to external life, as it were. In many respects, each and every one of our dear branches can be a symbol for us, more so in this region than anywhere else. For the significance of our kind of anthroposophical spiritual life in the present time, and also for the future development of human souls. When we find ourselves in the midst of a field of most modern material activity, this is not something we should criticize or denigrate, for it is indeed a region which shows us how things must come to be more and more in external life on earth as time goes on. We would be lacking in sense if we were to say, quote, let the old times return when people had woods and meadows around them, as it were, and the original life of nature rather than the chimneys we see in our day, close quote. That would show lack of sense. For we would demonstrate that we have no insight into the quote, eternal necessities into which man must find his way, close quote, as wise men of all times would say. Material life spread over the earth, especially in the 19th century, and will do so even more comprehensively in times to come. And there can be no criticism of this kind of life where one is in sympathy with earlier times. No, we have to realize that this is the destiny of our planet Earth. From a certain point of view, one may call the old days good, considering them to have been like the springtime or summertime on Earth. But to rant and rave because times change would be just as senseless as it would be to be dissatisfied because spring and summer are followed by autumn and winter. So, we have to appreciate and love it when our friends have resolved, with real courage, to create a center for our spiritual life right among the hustle and bustle of the most modern life. And it will be good if all who have come to visit here for just one day go away with heartfelt gratitude 
for the good work our Bochum friends are doing in a truly spiritual, scientific way. What I think is so good about the inauguration of new branches through the years is that friends come from outside, often a long way, on such occasions to be with the people who have come together in a particular place. It means that these friends from outside can, first of all, light the inner fire of their gratitude from direct experience, a fire we must have for all the people who establish such branches, and that, on the other hand, these friends can take with them a lively memory of the event. This will keep alive the thoughts we send from all around to the work of such a branch, so that their work may bear fruit thanks to creative thoughts from all directions. For we know that life in the spirit is a reality. We know that thoughts are not just what materialists believe them to be, but are live powers. And when we lovingly unite our thoughts about some place where we are active in this way, those thoughts can unfold there and be a help. I think we may be sure that those who have visited here today will also take home with them the impulse to think many, many times of this, our work, so that our friends here in Bochum may feel as they sit quietly together, entering deeply into the spiritual insights granted to us by the hierarchies, that creative thoughts come to them from all sides as they meet here in their center, their center for spiritual work. Our anthroposophical view of life gradually teaches us to see things as they are and not to be unjustifiably critical of life as it is. Undoubtedly, we have to admit to ourselves that the earth is going through an evolution and if we, equipped with our anthroposophical knowledge or even just sensibly using the knowledge that exists outside anthroposophy, look back on earlier times in earth evolution then, compared to an earth furrowed by railways, with telegraph wires everywhere, with electrical currents passing through it everywhere, earlier times seem to us to be times of spring and summer, whilst the times ahead of us seem like the autumn and winter of our earth. But it is not for us to complain about this, though it is something we must call a necessity. It is not for us to complain, just as it is not right for people to complain when summer comes to an end and autumn and winter lie ahead. Centuries ago, the human soul would prepare itself, when autumn and winter did come, to set up the sign for the living word entering into earth evolution in the depth of winter's night. And with this, the human heart, the human soul, showed that the living principle that summer provides without human beings doing anything must now be created by human beings doing something out of their inner being. The shooting and sprouting powers of spring delight us, and so do the gentle powers of summer, without having to do anything to produce them. Evidence year after year that divine and spiritual powers reign in the world. 
when winter covers those joys with snow and darkness and cold prevail, we do in the midst of winter hold on to the summery hope for the future that comes in winter, a hope that tells us that just as spring and summer will follow every winter, so there will be a new spiritual spring and summer one day, when the earth will have achieved its goal and our own creative powers will help to shape them. Thus the human heart sets up for itself the sign of everlasting life. It is in this sign of spiritual life everlasting that we feel united today with our Bochum friends as we formally inaugurate the branch they established here some time ago. It is good to be able to do this just before Christmas. It may well be that some people listen only superficially to all the things our spiritual science discovers about Christ Jesus, the things revealed about Christ Jesus. Taking a superficial point of view, it may perhaps seem to them that we are replacing the simplicity and childlike nature of Christmas, bringing to mind the beautiful scenes from Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, with something tremendously complicated. We need to make the human soul aware that at the beginning of our era two Jesus' children entered into earth evolution. We have to speak of the way in which the I capital of the one Jesus child entered into the bodies of the other. We have to say that in the thirtieth year of Jesus' life the Christ Spirit came down and lived for three years in the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. It may well seem that all the love, the deep feeling which human beings knew how to develop for centuries for their salvation, when they were shown the Jesus child in the manger surrounded by the shepherds, when their ears heard the wonderful, deeply touching carol, when Christmas plays were celebrated in many places, when the candles shone on the Christmas tree gladdening their hearts. It may well seem that compared to all this, which immediately ignites human hearts as they are beheld, arousing deep feelings, piety and love, that compared to all this, the warmth of feeling, of sentience, had to die away if one must first take up the more complicated ideas of the two Jesus children, of the I of one of them entering into the bodies of the other, of a divine and spiritual principle entering into the bodies of Jesus of Nazareth. Yet we must not give way to such thoughts, for it would be dreadful if we were not willing to accept the law of necessity in this area. Yes, my friends, in villages out there on the edge of the woods or among fields and meadows, villages to which the snow-covered mountains and far distant places would speak, or the vast plains and lakes, in villages where no railway lines or telegraph wires were to be seen. There hearts could live that would immediately light up when the nativity was set up and people were reminded of the story of the birth of that lovely infant as told by Matthew or Luke. Those stories of what happened on earth, 
stories that bear witness of the event, live and will live on. But a time which enters into, quote, Earth's winter, close quote, as we may well call it, a time of railways, telegraph wires, and tall chimneys, needs greater strength in the soul if hearts are to catch fire and develop deep feelings in spite of external mechanics, materiality. The soul must grow strong and be so convinced inwardly that everything that happened to prepare for the mystery on Golgotha is true, that all of it lives firmly in the heart, however much the mechanical, natural order may intervene in earthly existence. News of the child would have come in a different way to the people who lived on the edge of the wood, on mountain slopes, by the lakes, and among fields and meadows, then it must now come to those who must be able to deal with the conditions of life in more recent times. This is the reason why the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience are today telling us something we must take into account when we speak of the child in Bethlehem. Our hearts are then no less full as we behold the Christmas tree, in spite of having to have knowledge today which people of earlier times did not have. Quite the contrary. We gain a better understanding of those earlier times. We come to see why hope for the future and joy certain for the future shone in the eyes of young and old by the Christmas tree and the manger. We come to understand that in those days more was alive in this than people were able to see in such a direct way, if we consider the reasons in our mind while why we feel such deep inward love for the child of Bethlehem. In the best, the very best sense, we may call one of the Jesus children who was descended from the Nathan line in the house of David, quote, the child of humanity, the child of man. Close quote. For what do we feel for this child whose spirit still shines out from the words in the Gospel of Luke? The human race had its origin with the earth's origin. It has gone through much in Lemurian, Atlantean, and post-Atlantean times. And we know that this was a decline, that at the times of origin the human race had original knowledge and vision, and original bond with the divine and spiritual powers, an ancient legacy of knowing of the bond with the gods. Everything coming from the gods, which thus lived in human souls, came to be toned down more and more as time went on. In the course of time, human beings had less and less immediate awareness of their connection with the divine and spiritual ground and origin. They were progressively cast out, as it were, into the field of sheer material vision, existence in the senses. It was only in the beginnings of life, in infancy, that people knew to venerate in innocence, to love the innocence of a human being who had not yet taken in the earth's powers of decline. But as we now know, a spirit came down to earth with one of the Jesus children, 
who had not been on earth before, a soul which had not gone through humanity's evolution on earth. I have written of this in my title Occult Science and Outline, also known, readers aside, also known as an outline of esoteric science, end of readers aside, and had been held back, as it were, in the state of innocence prior to Lucifer's temptation. Such a soul, childlike in a much, much higher sense than one usually thinks, came to earth. And how could we not recognize it as, quote, the child of the human race, the child, or close quote, the child who came to earth as Luke's Jesus child shows something which we human beings may no longer show, not even at the most tender age of infancy, something which we cannot perceive in any of us, not even at the moment when we first open our eyes in the earth's realm. For this child had a soul that had not been born from a human body on earth before, which had remained behind when human evolution on earth took a new beginning, appearing on an earth wholly in its childhood stage at the beginning of our era. Hence the wondrous thing revealed to us in the Akashic Record, that this child, the Nathan Jesus child, produced speech sounds immediately after being born, which only his mother could understand. Those sounds were not like any of the languages spoken at that time, nor at any time. But something came to the mother from them that was like a message from worlds that are not earthly, from higher worlds. That is the wondrous thing, that this Jesus child was able to speak as soon as he was born. The child then grew up as if he had to have in his own inner nature a concentrate of everything which all human souls together could produce by way of life and capacity for love, as it were. It was the great geniality of love which lived in the child. He was not able to learn much of what human civilization had achieved in life on earth. Up to his twelfth year, the Nathan Jesus child knew little of the things humanity had achieved in the course of millennia. Because he was unable to do so, the other I entered into him in his twelfth year. But all the things he had touched on from his earliest, most tender childhood onward were touched by love brought to perfection. All the qualities of mind, all qualities of feeling, were as if heaven had sent love to earth, so that a light might be born into the winter time on earth, a light to shine in the darkness of the human soul in winter when the sun does not unfold its outer strength to the full. When the Christ later entered into the bodies of this human being, we have to remember that this Christ spirit could only make itself understood on earth because it had to act by going through those bodies. The Christ spirit is not a human being. It is a spirit from the higher hierarchies. On earth it had to live as a human being among human beings for three years. For this a human being had to be born who was the way I have often described for the Nathan Jesus child. 
not having been on earth before and therefore lacking the education of previous incarnations, this child of man could not have taken in the fruits of external civilization on earth. A soul, therefore, entered into this child who had, in the highest sense, gained for himself everything external civilization can give, the Zarathustra soul. So we see the most admirable state of affairs when we have Christ Jesus before us. We see how this child of man, who had saved humanity's best expectation for earth, love, from the times when human beings had not yet succumbed to Luciferic temptation, until the beginning of our era, when he appeared for the first time in a human body on earth. He worked together with Zarathustra, humanity's most highly developed prophet. The great spirit, whose true home had, until the mystery on Golgotha, been within the realms of the higher hierarchies, then had to appear on earth, entering earth existence through the gate of Jesus of Nazareth's bodies. The child of man brought with him to the highest degree something which is only hinted at in the purity seen in the eyes of an innocent child. The most sublime achievement possible on earth, that is something which Zarathustra gave to this child of man. And the Christ Spirit gave to the earth what the heavens can give it, that it might be receptive in the Spirit for what is given to it every summer when the powers of the sun increase. We will just have to come to understand everything that has happened to the earth. And for the times that lie ahead, the soul will be able to gain in inner depth, grow strong, thanks to a power that will be greater than all the powers that have so far joined up with the mystery of Golgotha. And this at a time where outwardly little support is given for the powers to gain strength that tend toward true human powers of source and origin, their inmost nature, so that human beings may understand how this spirit comes from the cosmic world of the spirit. Yet if we are to understand this fully, we must first rise to the kind of understanding that people once had of the Jesus child on Christmas Day, to perception of the spirit. There will be times when people will look at events on earth with the eyes of the soul, as it were. They will then say many things to themselves, which we cannot yet say to ourselves today in so many situations, something made possible only by spiritual science today. We are already able to say many things to ourselves that cannot cannot yet be mentioned in many, many situations. We see spring coming, plants shooting and sprouting from the ground. We feel joy coming alight as we see this. We feel the power of the sun increase up to the point where it makes our bodies jubilant, up to the St. John's sun which was celebrated in the Nordic mysteries. The initiates of those mysteries knew that at St. John's tide the sun pours out warmth and light over the earth revealing cosmic activity around the earth's periphery. We see and feel all this. 
We do, of course, also see and feel other things during this time. Lightning and thunder may crash into the rays of the spring sun when clouds cover them. Rain pours down irregularly. And we then sense the infinite harmonious regularity of the sun's progress that cannot be influenced by anything. And the, well, let us use the word, capricious activities of entities that have an influence on earth in the form of rain and sunshine, thunderstorms and other phenomena that depend on all kinds of irregular things, in contrast to the regular harmonious influence of the sun's progress and its consequences for plant development and everything else that lives on earth. Infinitely regular harmony of sun activity and the capriciousness of things happening in our immediate atmosphere. We are aware of there being two things. But when autumn approaches, we feel that living things are dying, things we enjoy are withering away. And if we have a feeling for nature, our souls may well feel sad as nature is dying. The awakening, loving power of the sun, something moving through the universe in regular harmony, disappears from view, as it were, and capriciousness gains the day. It is true, and people still knew of this in earlier times, though we no longer have it in mind in our materiality. In winter, earth's egotism gains the victory over powers that stream down to our earth from faraway world existence, penetrating our atmosphere and awakening life on our earth. And so, the whole of outside nature seems to us to involve two things. Spring and summer activity, utterly different from autumn and winter activity, is as if the earth were growing selfless, giving itself up to the embrace of the universe, with the sun sending it light and warmth and awakening life. The earth in spring and summer appears to show selflessness, The earth in autumn and winter seems to reveal egotism, conjuring up out of itself all it is able to contain and produce in its own atmosphere, overcoming the sun's activity, cosmic activity, with the egotism of earthly activity, that seems to be the earth in winter. And when we look away from the earth and at ourselves with the I, E-Y-E, which spiritual investigation opens for us, when we look altogether beyond the material and to the spiritual, we see something else as well. We do know that elemental spirits live in all that goes on around us in the struggles of spring and summer, looking as if only the capricious forces of the earth's atmosphere influenced the unfolding sun powers. Countless spirits lower ones and higher ones, are active in the elemental realm around the earth. Lower spirits, earthbound in the elemental realm, have to put up with higher spirits streaming down from the universe to be much more dominant, making them the servants of the spirits that stream down from the sun, making the demonic powers that prevail in the egotism of earth itself serve them. In spring and summer, on earth, we see the spirits of earth 
air, water, and fire made to serve the cosmic spirits that send their powers down to the earth. If we understand the whole spiritual situation of earth and cosmos, our souls are given up to these relationships in spring and summer, saying to ourselves, quote, Earth, you are showing yourself to us by making the spirits that serve egotism serve the universe, serve the cosmic spirits that conjure up life from your womb, a life that you yourself would not be able to conjure up. Close quote. We then move toward autumn and winter, and we sense the egotism of the earth, sense how powerful those spirits of the earth grow that are bound to this earth, spirits that have separated from the universe, from Saturn, Sun and Moon times, sense how they isolate themselves from the influences coming from the cosmos. We feel ourselves to be in an earth that is egotistically living for itself, and we may then perhaps look in ourselves. We test our soul in its thinking, feeling, and will, test it in all seriousness, asking ourselves, quote, How do thoughts come up from deep down in our soul? How do our feelings, affects, and sentience come up? Do they show the regularity which the sun shows as it moves through the universe? providing the earth with vital energies conjured up from its womb? They do not. Close quote. They do not. The powers evident in our everyday thinking, feeling, and will are even in their outer aspect, similar to the capricious goings-on in the atmosphere. Human passions erupt into the soul just as thunder and lightning erupt. Human thoughts follow no law as they rise from the depths of the soul, just as rain and sunshine are not subject to any law. Superficially, we do have to compare our inner life with the way in which wind and weather change, not showing the regularity with which the sun rules our earth. Out there, spirits of air and water, spirits of fire and earth, are active in the elemental realm and it is they which really represent the egotism of our earth. Within ourselves, elemental powers do the same. But these changing powers in us that regulate our everyday life are embryos, seeds that are mere germs. But these germs, nevertheless, resemble the elemental spirits that prevail in all the capriciousness out there. As we think, feel, and do things, we bear within us the powers of the same world, powers that live as demonic spirits in the elemental realm, in wind and weather, out there. In times when the people who were at the turning point between the old and the new times felt, quote, a time is coming that reminds us of Earth's winter time, close quote, there were teachers among those people, sages who knew how to interpret the signs of the times and make people aware, quote, Though our inner life is much like the capricious activities in the outside world, we human beings do know that behind this activity in the outside world, especially in autumn and winter, the sun does shine, is alive and active in the universe, and will return, close quote. 
And people may also cling to the thought that compared to their own capricious inner life there is a sun deep, deep down in the depths where the wellspring of our soul bubbles forth from the wellspring of the world itself. The sages made people aware at the turning point of time that just as the sun must return and gain power again to overcome earth's egotism, so insight will have to be gained from the depths of our soul for anything that can come to this soul from those wellsprings, where the soul's life is directly connected with the spiritual sun in the world, just as life on earth is connected with the physical sun in the world. This sounded like a hope when it was said, referring to the great symbol presented by nature herself. And so the winter solstice was made a festival for the days when the sun would gain strength again. They said to themselves at this time, of this time, quote, Whichever way the earth's egotism may unfold, the sun gains the victory over earth's egotism. The spirits coming from the sun penetrate into the world of the elemental spirits which represent earth's egotism as if through the darkness of a holy night, showing us how they make the egotistical spirits of the earth serve them. At first it seemed a hope, and when the great turning point of time had come, when otherwise desolation and emptiness would have had to arise in human souls, the mystery on Golgotha was in preparation. In the sphere of the spirit it was evident that powers do indeed live within human beings that can only be compared with the capricious powers of the earth atmosphere, with the earth's egotism. These were evident in the old days when people still had an heirloom from the old powers of the gods in them, like the powers that appear in spring and summer. Servants of the old hierarchies of the gods. But, as the time of the mystery on Golgotha approached, the inner powers of human souls came to be more and more like the external demonic elementals in autumn and winter. These powers of ours were to tear themselves away from the old streams of the gods, the old influences, just as in winter the capricious powers of our earth withdraw from sun activity. Then it happened in humanity's evolution on earth, as people had always hopefully envisaged symbolically in the sun's victory over the powers of winter. The world winter solstice came, with the spiritual sun going through the same thing as the physical sun always went through at the winter solstice, going through this for the whole of earth evolution. And the mystery on Golgotha came in those times. We must make clear distinction between two different periods of time on earth. The time before the mystery on Golgotha, moving through earth's summer and towards its autumn, with the inner powers of human beings coming to resemble the capricious powers of the earth more and more, and the great feast of the earth's Christmas, the time of the mystery on Golgotha, when earth's winter did indeed befall the earth. But out of the darkness the victorious spirit of the sun, the Christ, approached the earth, inwardly bringing to souls the powers of growth which the sun brings to the earth in the outside world. 
standing by the Christmas tree, we are very much aware, therefore, of the whole of our human destiny on earth, our inmost human nature. We feel close to the child of man that brought a message across from the time when humanity had not yet fallen into temptation and thus the potential of decline, of descent, a message that there would be a new beginning again as the ascent begins with the winter solstice. It is on that very day that we are really aware of the close connection which the spiritual element in the inner soul has with the spirit that is present and active in everything, coming to outer expression in wind and weather and also in the regular harmonious progress of the sun and to inward expression in the progress of humanity over the earth in the great Golgotha festival. Following these thoughts, which should not remain thoughts but turn into feelings and sentiment, Humanity surely needs to develop a new religiosity, intimate and inward, a religiosity that cannot be blunted even in the face of the most extreme mechanization which must inevitably develop on earth. Surely it should be possible again to have Christmas prayers, Christmas carols, even in an earth atmosphere that has grown abstract, filled with telegraph wires and smoke, when people will learn to feel how they are connected with the divine and spiritual powers in their depths, having a feeling deep down in themselves for Earth's great Christmas festival at the birth of the St. Luke Jesus Child. It is true indeed, and on the one hand, one could hear it through the whole of human history on Earth, that one day there had to come the Earth's great Christmas festival, preparing for the Easter festival on Golgotha, It is true indeed that this unique event had to come as the sun spirit's victory over the capricious earth spirits. On the other hand, Angelus Silesius was right in saying, The Christ could be born a thousand times in Bethlehem, but all in vain, lest he is born in me. It is indeed true that we have to find the element in those depths of our soul that allows us to understand Christ Jesus. But it is also true that after a summer spent in the fields and pastures, the people who lived on the edges of the woods, at the lakeside, or surrounded by mountains, and were able to look toward the symbol of the Christ child, felt something different in their souls than we do. We who must feel strong enough to receive the Christmas message, even in a time that has become mechanized and abstract, smoke-filled and dry. If those powerful thoughts which spiritual science can give us can take root in our hearts, a sun power will come from these hearts of ours that will be capable of shining into the most desolate outside environment with a power that will be as if within ourselves light upon light were ignited on the tree of our inner life. The roots of this tree are the roots of our soul itself. And in this winter season, we must do more and more to transform it into the Christmas tree. We can do this if we take the message of the Spirit, which true anthroposophy can be for us, not just as theory, but as something that is full of life. This is how I wanted to bring the thoughts of Christmas from our spiritual science into the room 
we want to inaugurate today for the work which our friends have already been doing here for some time. Our friends here want to dedicate their work and their branch to a God who in the North is considered to be the God who brings rejuvenating powers, spiritual childhood powers, to a human race that is growing old. Nordic people turn to this God when they want to speak of something which coming from the Christ Jesus Spirit can bring new tidings to our human race of rejuvenation. His is the name to which our friends want to dedicate their work and their branch. They want to call it the Vidar branch. May this name hold promise. Just as the work done here, what has already been done by people who love the Spirit and intend to do in time to come holds promise for us. Let us truly appreciate what our Bochum friends here are attempting. and Let us bless the work, also calling for the Christ's blessing, by unfolding our best and most loving thoughts here for the blessing, the power, and the genuine, true spiritual love for this work. We can feel that we are celebrating today's festival of naming the Vidar branch in the right sense. And let our feelings rise to those whom we call the guides and leaders of our spiritual life, to the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience, and ask their blessings on the work that is to grow and develop in this city through our friends. You who guide life in the Spirit and give to humanity what human beings need according to their time, You are joining in when our friends in this city devotedly serve that life in the Spirit. Let us send this prayer to the spiritual leaders, the higher hierarchies, at this moment, which is a solemn one, in two aspects. And we may hope that the promise which lies in the work done in this branch will win through, in spite of all resistance that is growing apace, in spite of all obstacles and opposition that with it the Christ's secret may be embodied anew in humanity in the way that it needs to happen. That it be our Christmas prayer today that this may happen, that this branch, too, may be a living witness of the power that comes to human evolution from higher worlds, making human souls more and more aware of the truth in the following words. They speak to our senses, the things in far-off spaces, changing within the stream of time. With insight, human souls enter into the sphere of things eternal, free of the boundaries of space and untouched by the stream of time. Our friends here in Bochum will proceed with the work, their hearts full of this feeling, as will be the hearts of those of us who have been present here and will know of their work, thinking of it many, many times. These thoughts can gain great strength because we have been able to add our blessing to this work immediately before this year's Christmas festival. This can be a symbol to us for everything victorious over the material world, over all opposition that may and will somehow arise in the world. The end of Lecture 8